A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I'm Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear about how Christians involve themselves in the mucky world of politics. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are involved in politics in an informed way. Today, we're going to be speaking to Andy Flanagan. He's the executive director of Christians in Politics. They encourage Christians to get involved in party politics and urge those who are already involved to support each other. We're going to be talking to Andy about what Christians should consider before they go into politics and what hope there is for the next generation of Christian leaders. All that to come, but first, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the stories that you might have missed. Well, members of the House of Lords have been discussing the assisted dying bill, with nearly 140 peers taking part in the eight-hour debate last Friday. It would allow someone who has been given six months to live or less and is mentally competent to be assisted to take their own life, after the approval of two medical practitioners and the High Court. There was no vote, but next it will be scrutinised line by line in the committee stage in Parliament, but no date for that has yet been announced. Now, following the death of Sir David Amos MP, a fellow Catholic MP has proposed an amendment to the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill that would protect the rights of priests and other religious leaders to pray with a person as they die. A priest had tried to pray with Sir David as he was dying, but says he was denied entry to the crime scene. The Labour MP Mike Kane says it is vital that people of faith can receive the ministry and sacraments they need in the final moments of life. But you may well remember, a few weeks ago, we mentioned a pot of money that has become available for faith groups. Tim, I wonder if you could tell us more. In recent decades, a lazy consensus has grown around the notion that faith is no longer relevant to our society, or even that it's a negative thing. But secularism, the absence of faith, isn't neutral. There is no neutral. The pandemic has changed the minds of many who had written off faith as irrelevant in our communities. The practical outworking of Christian faith in serving people in need has seriously shifted people's perceptions. Churches have got their hands dirty and people have started to notice. A Savanta Comres poll showed that 42% of UK adults now agree that churches are helping their community, a 7% increase from before the pandemic. Political parties will be ecstatic with that kind of poll bounce. Local groups understand their local communities better than government run from London. Churches rooted in those communities are well-placed to know their needs and then to seek to tackle them. The All-Party Parliamentary Group on Faith and Society also recently produced a report looking into partnerships between faith groups and local authorities during the pandemic. They found that in recent years, there has been suspicion from civil servants that faith groups were only seeking to provide services so that they could proselytize or support people selectively. This myth has been exaggerated. A report found 91% of local authorities describe their experience of partnership with faith groups as very positive or positive. There is reason to be optimistic. The government's Faith New Deal offers a million pound pilot fund that faith groups can bid for to support innovative partnership projects. It seeks to develop an agreement between faith groups and local and national government to help harness the underutilised capacity of the faith sector to work alongside public services. The Faith New Deal was shaped by two reports, 
written by Christian MPs, Danny Kruger from the Conservatives and Labour's Stephen Timms, both of whom we were delighted to have as guests on this show. Even more than normal, Christians have been running food banks, collecting, transporting and donating food and money, providing pastoral support and making church buildings available for those in need. In my patch in South Cumbria, no one bats an eyelid that the church has been present at our regular council resilience meetings throughout the pandemic. Everyone sees their relevance because of the practical role they play. The media is increasingly aware of this role too. One example was the story of Pastor Mick and the Church on the Street Ministries in Burnley, who were followed by the BBC as they sought to address the heart-wrenching challenges being faced by people in their local community. As Christians, we should not be surprised by this because we are seeking to share God's love for those we serve. We believe that we are not saved by doing good works, but saved in order to do good. Faith should not be seen as a private and personal affair, but a very public one. Christ asks that we do not remain in our own comfortable bubbles, but that we reach out and respond to the suffering and hardship we see around us. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks of those who will inherit his father's kingdom. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We should be both challenged and encouraged by these verses. I pray that the response of the church and faith groups over the last 19 months will draw those around us to the love of Jesus Christ as we continue to serve their needs in his name. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, our guest today is Andy Flanagan. He's the Executive Director of Christians in Politics, and their mission is to inspire and encourage Christians to get involved in public life. And he's also a musician. He writes songs about social justice and hope. And indeed, he's led the worship at many parliamentary uh, prayer events and indeed chapel services where he has helpfully managed to drown out my terrible singing. So why does <laughs> Andy try to persuade Christians to enter the mucky business of politics? Does he ever discourage certain Christians from getting involved? And what hope is there for the next generation of those Christians who do get involved in politics? Andy, it's marvellous to have you with us. Great to be with you this morning, Tim. Lovely to nearly see you. <laughs> you almost see you. We have camera issues, but luckily this is the radio. So look, let's start off with the big question. Tell me about how you became a Christian. Oh, well, it goes, it goes back to days with my mum and dad as, as Sunday school teachers in Northern Ireland. And uh, every, every so often on a Sunday after the Sunday school class, I would see my mother sitting with uh, a young girl with both of their heads bowed. And I remember, you know, in the car home one day saying, Mom, what's going on when uh, when you're doing that with one of those girls? And she said, oh, that's one of the girls deciding to ask Jesus into their heart. And, and I thought, well, do you know what? I want to do that. I want to, I want, I want to do that. And so I remember sitting uh, clear as day as a seven-year-old in my bedroom with my mum doing exactly that. And it was really real. And, and to be honest, I've just never looked back since that moment. I, d I don't have a dark, dusty past, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, to make up. But, but that was an incredible moment. And from that moment on, I kind of knew that, that that was my primary calling in life, that serving Jesus was my primary calling and everything else would come secondary. Fantastic. Now, obviously, wanting to look, leap forward, you find yourself in the world of, uh, of politics and reaching out to Christians to talk about politics. But what was your political awakening what made you think that politics was something worth getting involved with 
Well, it's actually it's connected to the music stuff that you mentioned. You know, I, I spent a lot of uh, the late nineties and early noughties uh, writing songs, passionately sort of shouting and screaming about the injustices of the world through a lot of work with Tear Fund, learning about uh, why so much of the world is stuck in the poverty that it's stuck in, and some of the injustices of the global economic system, and. And so I started to express that in song and, and people started to listen. It started to become a thing. You know, I started doing concerts and we're, I was singing these songs, drawing attention to issues of injustice, you know, in different parts of the world. So whether it was, you know, um, Tear Fund taking me to Bangladesh to go and investigate sweatshops and then coming back and singing the songs or whether it was going to Uganda to visit orphanages, you know, and then and then those agencies, Christian Aid, Oxfam, Tear Fund, starting to uh, get me to sing their songs to, to people in Parliament like yourself, you know, to, to end up in events speaking and singing and sharing about these issues. And I guess I guess it was during that time that it became really clear to me that, you know, that there, you know, being in and around Parliament, that there was no magic dust there, you know, <laughs> that, you know, that, um, that, that there weren't people there operating on a higher moral, spiritual or intellectual plane than what I had imagined. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it sounds very rude to say that to yourself, but, but you know, I think, I think you know it to be true. And... Uh, and, and I suddenly realized, gosh, we really need more uh, people of goodwill and Christians involved on the inside here. You know, I guess I'd been involved through those agencies and all the big campaigns, Make Poverty History, uh, you know, dropping the debt and all that sort of thing. And, uh, as, you know, realizing that as Christians, we're good at, uh, you know, doing the, you know, we're good at making noise, <laughs> but we're not so good at having influence. We're good at walk, marching the streets, sending the emails, writing the letters, but mm. not so good at rolling up our sleeves and getting involved on the inside in the mucky business, as you describe it. And so... Uh, you know, God opened these doors to be able to serve into the worship stuff, as you mentioned, and the prayer and the Bible study stuff in Parliament. And through that, just began meeting uh, more and more MPs and, and realizing actually there's a, there's a job to be done here. Mm. And now you ended up in a position where you were leading what we now call Christians on the left, but was then the Christian Socialist Movement, the Labour Party's Christian wing, if you like. How did that come about? Um, well, that was, I mean, that was through that work, really, being involved with a lot of MPs around Parliament. And, and I guess being passionate about grappling with, I guess, the intersection of theology and policy. And mm. so learning more and more about, uh, you know, doing more and more theological work, especially through the Old Testament, looking at Jubilee and Sabbath and mm. and realizing that actually we, we do serve a God who is passionate about how society is ordered. He, he does care about what's going on inside our hearts, but he also cares about the systems and structures of our world. And, uh, and, and realizing that actually there's some you know there are huge injustices in the, as I said, in the global economic system, and realizing well, actually, one way of uh, challenging that is by being involved in a political party that is, you know, that is seeking to redress some of that balance. And so, so that's that's how I got involved, and then I started helping various, you know, MPs in and around the Labour Party, thinking about why they might be passionate about certain issues, and thinking about you know connecting their faith. Many of them had a faith, but helping them connect that faith to policy discussions and decisions. And so that turned into that was kind of a, just a an organic relational mm. ad hoc job and then and then and then actually the the then director of of uh, of christians on the left he, he disappeared and quite a few people said oh andy i think you should do that job and i was thinking mm -hmm. no, no 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 i want to do music i've been avoiding responsibility all my life i don't <laughs> i don't want to do that but it became clear that god had plans uh, to get to get stuck in and god clearly also had plans to move you on from there so being um, I would say a very a person who who builds consensus and always reached across party boundaries. I know with 
uh, talking to people in the, the Conservative uh, Christian Forum and with the Liberal Democrat Christian Forum as well. Mm. You were very so, much somebody who built bridges. And it's your phrase that I often quote, which is that it's kingdom before tribe. Yeah. But then you ended up making that step from Christians on the left, the Labour Party's Christian uh, organisation, to leading Christians in politics. Uh, what was the, What's the difference in those two organisations? And tell me a bit about what you do now. Well, it, it started relationally, really. You know, it started uh, when I was leading Christians on the Left. I, I, I was obviously aware of a, a wonderful lady called Elizabeth Berridge, who's now in the Lord, who is running the Conservative Christian Fellowship. And uh, we were often getting invites to churches and events to go and speak. And, and you know, we got to know each other and started to pray together and started to really, you know, uh, try to honor one another in what we were doing. And, and often we would invite each other. If we got an invite to a church or an event or a festival, we would invite the other to come and speak uh, and to share the stage with us. And it really, it, it blew people away. We were surprised at how surprised believers were that we could share a stage and say that it was kingdom before tribe and, and to honor one another, yet say, look, you know, we're here to disagree well. Yes, we disagree, but we're trying to do it well. And, and it was amazing how just you know, the scales fell from people's eyes. And we saw, actually, this is quite a powerful mm. message. You know, it, it wasn't an intentional message, but it, 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 we realized it was quite a powerful message. And so I think that, the, I guess, the new iteration of Christians in Politics was born in and around there. And with our friend Zoe from the Lib Dem Christian Forum, um, you know, doing events together, realizing that actually it's, it's all very well uh, to go to a church and to talk about politics. But if you're going to that church to talk about politics and you're there primarily flying the red, the blue or the yellow or the green flag, then mm. there's an innate skepticism and suspicion. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and rightly so, because, you know, you know, uh, religion has been used to grab votes, uh, as we know well, all mm. through the centuries. And, um, and actually, but if you're standing together, and saying that it's kingdom before tribe and saying, look, more than anything else, we just want you to get involved and to lay out the biblical case for being involved. So not, you're not kind of, you're starting at the ground up saying, saying, you know, this is a Genesis one calling to be involved in yeah. public life rather than, well, actually I'm from this party. And, and so, you know, I totally believe in the work of, of making the case for, for different parties. Um, but it, we realized there was this huge opportunity and then that, that has just exploded then in the last four, five, six years, the opportunities that have come up because of that sort of unity platform to stand and to share. And, and through that, thankfully, so many more believers have actually got involved in politics, both local and national. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Andy Flanagan. He's the executive director of Christians in Politics, and their mission is to encourage Christians to get involved in politics, in public life, indeed, to think about standing for Parliament. So, Andy, there must be a time, or must have been times, where there you are, um, a member of the Labour Party, leading Christians in Politics, talking to a, a Conservative Christian, encouraging them to stand for Parliament and maybe beat a Labour candidate. How does that feel? <laughs> yes, well, that, that that situation does occur regularly, and um, you know I'm, I'm very aware of that situation. Um, but I, I think anybody that I think there's two ways to answer that question. Number one, the sort of the pragmatic answer is that anybody taking a step back from politics, a and looking at our nation, looking at the first past the post system, which I know you bemoan as do I, um, that that. Uh, you know, in reality, we're mostly going to have red and blue governments over the course of the next 50, 100 years, probably in this country. And so there's this pragmatic thing where we go, well, actually, if you're a Christian who believes in strategically influencing the course of the nation and realizing that probably we'll have red and blue governments, 
um, and you know, hopefully with tinges of yellow as well. Um, the, the the reality is, we should want there to be as many believers as possible in the midst of those imperfect uh, parties, in the midst of those places. We should want there to be as many believers as possible, um, and, and and also because the, theologically, uh, you know, wh- wh- whatever your persuasion is, you know, you, you want there to be you know people who are turning their ear to God, even if we don't agree with quite a lot of the things they may come up with. They're at least mm-hmm. trying to turn their ear to God in the midst of those mm-hmm. parties, and 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 actually the other point is that leadership is about more than just policy. I think what we've seen in these times of COVID and Brexit is that the integrity, whether or not we believe our leaders, whether or not we believe they're telling this truth is hugely important, it's, it, especially in a life and death situation like COVID. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it's important that we trust our leaders. And so we've seen up close and personal that integrity is really important. And you look at the, uh, you know, the stories and the history and the biography of most political leaders, it's not uh, a certain policy a manifesto promise that is, is the, what defines their time in charge. It's how they respond to an event like an economic crisis or the you know the Iraq War. Or, you know those are the things that define people. And so we 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 really pray for people of whatever political stripe to be to be take as I say turning an ear to God to Scripture uh, to His people during during times of crisis. It's 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 about integrity, not just policy. I mean, obviously, you and I both agree that people who are Christians uh, should be interested in politics and some certainly should be putting themselves forward and be thinking about standing for the council or for parliament. But do you ever come across people um, who are keen to go into politics, but that you feel maybe you should discourage because maybe they don't have the gifts or a strong theology to support what they're doing? Well, I would say it's probably less to do with the gifts. and the, the, The reason I most challenge folks who have a passion for politics is that there is a a group of people and in this i include myself who have been head girls and head boys of their schools who are ambitious believers and passionately want to change the nation for jesus and i have the privilege of meeting a lot of those people coming for coffee meeting them in parliament often Mm -hmm. taking them on a tour of parliament and and my first really serious question to those people is is who is your clan Mm -hmm. Who are the people that are going to walk this journey with you? Who are the people that are going to stick tight with you? Who are also who are already tight with you, even before even the decision to step in? Who are helping you pray this through? Who are holding you accountable? Because sadly, the the, the truth is that whether we're Christians or not, those who are most ambitious and gifted are often the best people in the room at doing anything, and therefore they're not very good at building a team, and they're maybe not very good at delegating, and and those sort of folks will once they're in the hot light of politics and then the toxicity of social media often do not have the support and the structure where I, I see those people kind of falling away sadly mm. I see those people struggling to survive and so my first quite my really serious question to people is who is your clan who are the people that are going to walk this journey with you I've been privileged to be part of a group of people that, that pray with each other regularly that go away for a weekend once a year to pray with each other to support one another in in our political calling and our you know our, our calling into the mission field of politics in the same way that you pray for a missionary um, you know, praying for those who are involved, and so I'm. I'm, more, I'm more, rather than skill set, I'm more concerned about the 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 character and actually the support uh, and how people are seeing it as a team effort rather than a solo effort. And I can absolutely endorse that. My my sense is that uh, when I have been at my least useful as a Christian in politics is when I've been least plugged into a community of believers and not surrounded with people uh, who prayed with me and, uh, you know, with, to whom I can be accountable. So I 100% mm. endorse what you're saying. Mm-hmm. 
I, we talked a few uh, weeks ago, which before the summer, with Michael Weir, who was, of course, yes. Obama's former faith advisor. And he he revealed, uh, and he would know, that in both houses of Congress in the States, he reckoned there was only one avowed atheist, rather different to in the United Kingdom. And I guess we might observe, might be a bit lazy to say this, but we might observe that in the States, you know, politicians have to almost invent a faith to be taken seriously if they <laughs> haven't got one. And whereas in the UK, we've kind of got to supposedly hide ours and put it under a bushel. To what extent do you think that is the case still today? Do you think that faith is tipexed out of politics? Uh, what hope is there for the next generation of Christian politicians that uh, they will be accepted uh, and that their faith will be accepted as an important part of who they are in their political lives? Um, I think, ironically, I often call this the Tim Farron question because it's one of it's one of the first questions that I get when I'm speaking at an event or a conference or a church, and you know at which point I it's really encouraging to remind people that that you are still doing what you're doing, um, and that you do a brilliant job doing what you're doing, uh, and that that you are sharing your faith publicly and not not hiding your light under a bushel, and that you are still doing what you're doing, and that those who know you as a, a, in relationship still work with you and hugely respect you and whereas those who only perhaps know you yourself through the 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 sort of the the filter of the media who only have a vested interest in printing what is tragic and scandalous um in the same way that you know i often i often ask people say you know well what do you think of mps oh it's a mucky business i say well do you know your own do you know your own mp and they'll say oh oh, she's actually she's brilliant she's great she does a lot of work for the community she's wonderful she's everywhere she's brilliant and i'm going like okay do you see the difference between that one person who you know in relationship and the 650 that you 649 that you don't and so we've got to be really careful before before we buy into sort of any media myth because from my experience the the politicians that i work with in parliament they are actually they actually know really well where the juice is flowing in our nation they know really well who's running the food banks they know really well who's doing the debt advice stuff they know who is working with our young people and who's working with our mums who are struggling they you know they know politicians far better than the media actually know where the juice is flowing. And so I think there, there is a real uh, respect and honor uh, for the work that the church is doing across the nation. Now, there's also a huge challenge uh, because of the, the current state of our public debate and, our, and, and the, the state of the public square that's been so polarized, especially by the Trump stuff and the Brexit stuff and the way that Twitter operates. You know, we could get we won't get into talking about cancel culture and all that sort of stuff just now. But but let, let's not pretend there aren't huge challenges uh, for for people who hold to an orthodox Christian faith um, to grapple with some of the issues. But but those are there for grappling. You know, <laughs> I think I go back to the Genesis one thing. We're not here to be successful. We're here to give glory to God, and we're here to represent Him. Uh, as you know, Adam and Eve were called to be these people who represented Him and and had some responsibility in the public square. That was the calling, and sometimes that will look like success, but sometimes that will look like failure. But you know, our calling is is in the context of eternity, and so we should never let those challenges put us off from getting involved. We're in an incredible position. We, you know, increasingly the church is people are looking to the church right across the nation. You look at we see what's happened even in the last few days. Um, we are we are going to have a platform to speak from, and we need to be shy, and, not, and we need not to be shy and continue to speak up. But we need to speak with a tone and a voice. 
uh, that follows the proverb that says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We're not speaking up for us as a minority who are put upon, who you know, pretending that we're persecuted. We're, we're speaking up for, for those who cannot speak for themselves. That's our distinctive. And we should never adopt that shrill tone of saying, oh, we're on the way out. Our influence is going down. You know, sadly, coming from Northern Ireland, I know that shrill tone all too well. You know, it's the, it's the tone of my, my people, the Northern Irish Protestants who are saying, like, oh, the Catholics are going to outbreed us. We're on the way out. And that, that creates a really shrill, angry siege mentality tone. And, and we need to be so careful. We know the, as believers, we know the end of the story. We know mm. the end of the story. We know there are battles along the way and we know it will be challenging, but we know the end of the story and that should encourage us to engage, but it should also change how we engage. Absolutely. Andy, we know it ends well. Um, and uh, here we are crowbarring this in, but we've come to our end as well. <laughs> um, uh, Andy, it's a massive pleasure to talk to you, and thank you very much for everything you do, encouraging and equipping Christians to think about politics, to get engaged with it. Uh, Christian Politics is an awesome organisation. I can vouch for that myself, and you're an awesome man for leading it, so thanks oh, for your time this morning. You're a kind man, Tim. And if people want to get involved, the influence course is arriving at a church near you. Six-week course, small groups. Get get onto it. The influence course. Well, this is the part of the show where we get to answer a question from you, the listener, about how Christianity and politics can work together. Perhaps you're thinking through a particular issue and you'd like to work out an answer to it. You're not sure maybe why people disagree on a certain policy, whatever it is. If you've got a question, write it in an email to farron at premier.org.uk. And this week, we've got a question from Reverend Olu Iola. My question is, recently, I think it was almost 300 Church of England churches might have to shut down. And in the growing phase of the rapid growth and expansion of the other faiths and especially the, uh, the the other main faith in the country my question is what is the government doing to safeguard the future of christianity in the united kingdom thank you i think the first thing to say is it's important when we talk about the um the health of the church in the united kingdom that we remember that the church is global and across the planet, Christianity is growing and growing rapidly. And in some of the places you would least expect under the worst kind of persecution, um, persecution, which is infinitely greater than that which we may think we face in the United Kingdom. So the church, in one sense, is smaller than it was in the UK, um, nominally than 30, 50, 100 years ago. Um, and why is that? And, and there's lots of reasons behind it. Um, maybe the Christianity back in the day was merely nominal. And all we're doing is seeing a stripping away of cultural Christianity and leaving behind the real stuff at the core, shall we say. Or maybe, as I've heard other people saying in our society and Western society that has turned its back on, um, on, on the Bible and on Christian values, are we being given over? I do not know. What I do know is that God is sovereign. Um, what I do also know um, is that we as Christians should not panic about the direction of our world because we know how it ends and it ends well. But it's also worth just reflecting for a moment on the fact that the church has spent its first, what, three to 400 years as an oppressed uh, outfits, religion, completely outside the, um, the sponsorship of any state whatsoever. And so we shouldn't worry too much if we are in a country that does not consider Christianity to be its underlying faith system. 
Nevertheless, we should as Christians, and I would say as a liberal, we should also be fighting for people's rights to believe. And I do worry that there is a replacement of Christianity as the state religion with atheism as the state religion. I think that's equally wrong. We can't legislate to make people believe things that they don't believe or to act as though they did. But neither should we be dictating that somehow the absence of faith is neutral. It isn't. There is no neutrality. What we should be doing is faithfully proclaiming the gospel and seeking to live as those who count themselves as followers of Jesus. Well, let's end our time together this week with prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of Christians in politics and for Andy Flanagan, who leads that work. We thank you um, that the group uh, of Christians in politics is growing. We thank you for the work around the country. We pray for those Christians who are considering getting involved in politics, that you would give them wisdom, direction, you would open the right doors and close the wrong ones. And we pray for those who are already involved in politics, who follow you, um, to love you and indeed to love one another uh, and to show the world, to model to the world what it is to be able to disagree on political issues, to do so passionately, but to do so well and kindly. Father, we also thank you for the role the church has played over this last uh, year or two as we have sought to uh, struggle through this time of pandemic. And we thank you that people have noticed that the church has stepped up and served in the communities in which uh, it is based. We pray that Christian leaders and indeed Christians of all kinds throughout our country would make good use of this time where um, the church's relevance is felt more keenly than it has been at any time for some decades. And by good use, I mean, Lord, that, um, uh, that the gospel would be shared and that people would hear it and that people would receive it and turn to you. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so that other people can see the podcast. Next week, we'll be taking a break. We'll be back in two weeks' time. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron.